Right. Hey, Lauren. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to Serato Studio LA. Thank and you. This is the uh, unscripted podcast. Fun. Yeah, we're really grateful for your uh, for your time today. Yeah, of course. Um, so let's just get right into it. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you was about the last gig you played. Last gig I played. I'm I'm gonna have a two part for that because I feel like I have two different avenues when it comes to DJing, and so one was a corporate gig, and I did. Um, Tiffany's Jewelry had a men's launch party in LA. So I DJed that, um, which was really, really cool. And then I, before that, I played with Arl Grime in New York, cool. which was also cool. And I played with busted headphones. Oh, yeah. We were just talking yeah. about that. <laughs> a very vital part of the DJ equipment arsenal. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm like, all these years I've been DJing, and I'm like, oh my God, do I need to carry backup headphones with me now? I'm like a little scarred. So. Have you ever DJed with like earbuds? No. no. I see no. some people do that. Really? Yeah, I don't know how they do it, but. I mean, maybe I should have some with like, but who even has them with like a an aux input? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Output. The quarter inch. Yeah. Yeah. Like. I know. Maybe I'll have that as a backup. <laughs> um, but the, you so you played a corporate gig and you played with RL Grime. Yeah. And what music did you play? Well, like, what was the difference between those two gigs? They couldn't be more different. <laughs> um, so with RL, I played like you know mostly electronic stuff and you know some rap things and some edits I made. <clears throat> and then um, for Tiffany's, it was just a bunch of like hip hop and R and B and like cool edits and future beat stuff, world things, Afrobeat, you know, yeah. all that shit. Uh, but when you approach like a corporate gig, obviously you're you have to take into account that you're playing for people that may not be familiar with who you are, or is that not the case at all? Um, well, I know the people who are booking me are familiar with who I am and like what my vibe is, um, and I feel like I'm kind of known as having this, I guess, like bit of duality where I can do electronic and like more um, left of center stuff, and then I have such heavy roots in like hip hop and urban music that um you know they're not they don't think i'm gonna come up there and play an edm like f fucking whatever why am i forgetting the name edc edc right. <laughs> an edc set wow um but yeah so for those things like i sort of take into account like what kind of event it's going to be if it's going to be a little bit more mellow or if it's going to be like some turned up like party you just you never know but kind of think about that ahead of time and then you've you've played coachella mm -hmm. that was last year or was it 2018 2018 yeah yeah so i guess last year what was that like i was so stressed out i was terrified i've never played any festival of that caliber and growing up in southern california like coachella is a big deal around the world i'd even, yeah right? yeah but like especially you know like, I, I grew up in L.A., so people would be driving out there every year. It was, like, such a th time in the city. Um, but, yeah, it was terrifying. And I was playing the same day as Beyonce, which, like, I really hyped myself up with that one. Oh, wow. I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. Which was cool. But I was, in my head, I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, really important that I'm doing this, like, for myself. I'm like, oh, my God. But, um, yeah, I was really stressed out. And then after I played my set the first week, I fully just, like, my adrenaline had burnt out finally, and my nerves were gone, so I just crashed. I, like, fell asleep in my trailer. I was dead. But it was really cool and scary and probably the biggest stage I've ever been on, for sure. How did you, like, how did you approach your set for that? Like, 
because I mean, playing a corporate gig's one thing, or playing a club, but like on a magnitude of that importance, like how did how did you what did you do to craft your set? I took into account like it wasn't an EDM festival, you know, and it's not like that's my whole vibe forever. So I wanted to really make sure what I played kind of um, represented everything that I like and everything that I stand for and, you know, love and identify with musically. So there was a bunch of different elements in there. There was definitely some like hip hop songs. There were definitely um, some electronic stuff, but it wasn't like bangers. Mm -hmm. And I ended my set with like a song from the rapture. Like I just, I kind of bounced around a bit and was like, you know what, this is something that I feel like if somebody listened to it, they would be like, okay, I get her. You know? Yeah, like spoke to your kind of strengths and your identity. Yeah, and I wasn't playing like some primetime peak hour set either. It was a bit earlier, so I had a bit more freedom to just sort of have a vibe versus needing to keep everyone's energy on 100,000 the whole time. So, what, Is that your ideal gig? Is like Coachella your ideal gig? Or what, what's your ideal gig? Honestly, I don't have an ideal gig. Like it really depends so much on... Um, the crowd there like EDC was so fun for me because it was like the biggest crowd I think I've ever played for and their energy was so up that it was just so fun to like have that exchange going on but then having like clubs that are just you know packed out and people are just super you know hyped and ready to go um, or like even house parties or or like the do-over and stuff like that where it's just people are like really vibing on whatever you're playing and you get to really jump into like that aspect of your taste and your sound and have that exchange with people like that makes it the best so it's not really like music specific for me and I mean you you actually spoke um uh, we've spoken before but you spoke about low-end theory being a really important like institution for yeah. you um, and that environment. Do you want to talk about that a, a bit? Like how, how that really influenced you in a way? Yeah. Um, I mean, going to low end was so life changing for me. And as, as with many artists and DJs, I know. Um, but it was the first place that I went where I experienced people breaking all the rules when it came to DJing and music and like kind of controlling the vibe of, of a party. And it was like, you know, the style of mixing and the, the songs that were being mixed together and the beats that were being played. It was just like things that you would never think go together. And you didn't even have to know anything that was being played. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like you're going to a club and like you hear DJ AM like playing all these things all crazy. And it's like, oh, my God, I love this song. Oh, my God, I love that song, too. Oh, my God, this song, too. It's like you didn't have to know shit. But it was all being mixed so interestingly and like being presented in such a f fresh way that it felt like seeing abstract art for the first time. And you're just like, fuck, whoa, this is a thing. And I think that really impacted me because I didn't feel like I had to just be one way. Mm. And I think that's something with my just my identity as a human, like I, I've never been able to fit into a box um, or like 
you know, I never had like one group of friends in school. I never had one thing that was like my thing. I had so many little things that I just loved in different ways. And it was so cool to see that I could find, you know, all these different types of music and um, vibes and they would make sense together somehow just because I liked them, just because my taste makes sense in mm. that way and that people could come enjoy that and that that could be a thing to to share with people. Um, so, yeah, and, and it was just really fun. Did you ever get to play it? Yeah, I played twice. Awesome. That that was the scariest gig of my life. Yeah? Probably more than Coachella. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, the, the first time I played Lawan, I was so nervous and... I remember, because um, Gaslam Killer was one of the f- people who taught me how to DJ. Like, I had a few friends who just, you know, would help me out. And he wasn't there that week. Oh. He was, like, out of town for a show or something. And I'm like, fuck, my, like, <laughs> my little, like, safety support system in here isn't here. And I, I was just so nervous. But it was cool. Yeah, I mean, that, that night, for anyone who's been in L.A., like, it's, I felt like coming here was, it was, I had to go. It was like a yeah. rite of it's passage. Like church. Yeah. And it seems to have launched so many people's um, careers or given them a platform to kind of go on to bigger and better things. Yeah. And I mean, there were so many legendary nights there with like, you know, Erica Badu and Tom York and Tyler, the creator and all the odd future kids. Like there's so many things that happen that are just so sick. But yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. If you went, you went. And if you didn't, you'll never know. Um, So about the, the other genres and the identity, like that's a bit of a I feel like that's quite an important journey for a DJ and like I'd really I'd really I'm interested to know how that journey was for you like mm-hmm. to even where you are now um even before we started this this interview we started talking about you know the genres that you're known for mm-hmm. and where how that's going for you is like can you talk about your journey from kind of like figuring out who you wanted to be as a DJ yeah um when I first started I had a fully different name I used to go by Soul Ray which was short for Soul Renaissance. <laughs> Dope. Um, but I would play like Neo Soul and like Dilla Beats and like random low end theory type stuff and old like 90s hip hop and like that was more my vibe. Um, and then I started, you know, getting more gigs where you kind of needed to, you know, cater to the crowd a bit. Um, and so I started incorporating more like mainstream stuff and finding ways to do that, uh, that I still felt like I was being me, but also like being a version of me that was digestible to more people. That's so important. Yeah. And so then I started playing more like, I don't know, more commercial stuff mixed in with stuff I really liked. And, um, and then I started exploring more like club music and electronic stuff and that was like <clears throat> I started DJing in like 2010 I think it was that's kind of like peak EDM time yeah so I started in like 2010-ish like late 2010 and was playing all my like vibey soulful weird stuff and then I started like you know playing more clubby hip-hop with that and then I started working at this nightclub that I was doing marketing at and they would let me open as a DJ there. And it was like LA bottle service, you know, sparklers and all <laughs> type spot. So I've been, I've been to those places. Yeah, yeah. So I had to kind of like adjust and be able to play to like completely different crowds, but it was like DJ boot camp for real. Cause yeah. 
like having to switch it up so quickly, like quick mixes, switching the vibe. Is this working? No. How am I going to get from here to here? And like trying to make everybody happy. And then, oh, somebody who's spending $80,000 on bottles wants to hear this one song that's like maybe 120 BPM and you're at 100 and you're like, oh my God, none of this makes sense. What do I do? Got to make it work. Yeah. And um, and at the time, the club owner hated hip hop and rap. Like I would get in trouble for playing it. That really grinds my gears. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to, you know, get more into like playing house and and exploring electronic stuff of that nature that I still identified with, because like that was peak EDM time. That was like Calvin Harris, Avicii, Fist Pump, Life, Swedish House Mafia, and I just don't like that stuff mm. at all. Never have. Never will. And um, and I was like, I can't play this stuff, but I need stuff that people who like this stuff maybe will be into. And so I started exploring a bit more and, um, you know, messing around with that stuff. And then from there, the whole, like, trap thing happened. And um, I really got into that, like, RL and Foster Amis and all that stuff. I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is, like, hip-hop, but then it, it works for electronic people. This is fucking a blessing. Thank you. No doubt. Yeah. So I really, like, jumped into that, and then there was all these little offshoots of other subgenres that kind of worked with that and, like, Jersey Club and all the, like, East Coast Club shit. And um, so I, I really was, like, heavy into that moment of time. And then also, like, alongside that, I was still, like, really heavy in hip-hop, obviously. And then um, and then as the years went on, I feel like I started kind of following along with, like, some more obscure club stuff. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Just, like, a little bit harder or a little bit weirder. And then I took a detour and I, into, I guess, like, a bit harder, harder stuff. Like, more bangers and stuff because I was playing electronic festivals and you know there's an audience for that right yeah they want to hear the big drops yeah and you know at my core i'm like with djing i'm not i'm not one of those like i'm a producer and i started djing and you're only going to listen to my sound Mm. i function so much off of like the energy exchange so if i'm in a a space where people want to hear like big drops and and big sounds and hard shit I'm going to find my version of that to share with them. So I did that for a while and, again, still doing hip-hop all through it. And now I'm sort of in a place where I'm like, okay, I don't know if this really works for me anymore. Mm. I I don't know if I identify with it as much. Um, And I, like, produced a little. Like, I've I've made some club tracks and I've made some, like, trap stuff. And it's all good. Like, I still like it. Yeah, I really like that track you did with Flip De Niro. Yeah, I love that one. But now I'm just like, okay, what, you know, I'm pausing because I look around me and in that space, I feel like I don't identify as much with what's going on sonically. And that is from like most, most of the artists and the listeners. I'm just kind of like, I don't feel like we get each other, Mm. you know? And I feel like what I want to say musically isn't something I can say with like big drops and, and builds, you know? Um, so now I'm sort of like this last, these last few months I've kind of like paused and I'm like, okay, you know, what do I really, what do I want to do? What direction do I want to go in now? And how do I plan on getting there? And, you know, it is a bit of a rebuild 
because I feel like I've kind of made a name more in that electronic space. And I really paused that to be like, okay, what do, what do I want to do? And is, you know, I trust that I can sort of rebuild and rebrand and, and create stuff that I love that I feel like I identify with, which will be a, a bit of a, a, you know, challenge, but part of the journey yeah i've done it i've done it enough times and i'm gonna keep having to do it and five years five years down the line i'll probably have to do it again um but that's fine honestly that's really reassuring and i think that more people don't admit that even yeah like it's actually really refreshing to hear someone say that Mm -hmm. i can identify with that i'm sure like whoever's listened to this has probably had a moment in time where they've questioned like oh you know is this something that speaks to me is is this the gig right for me yeah and I think that it's really healthy to, to, re, um, to pivot, like you said, yeah. pivot and kind of reanalyze what it is that I want out of music and is this what's happening. And it, I think now is an interesting time too because, yeah, I mean, to your point, EDM has changed and trap music has been here since, I mean, well, trap music's been here for a long time, but yeah. like club and the popularity of trap has been 2012 to now and that's like you know seven years now yeah it's a long time and we're going into and it's changed so much that's right like it's an i don't vibe with that as much anymore like exactly right yeah Yeah. and you've got house music that's changing and you've got all these new sounds coming again Mm -hmm. and i mean who knows it could be grunge music could be back in like you know six months or something you know things are going to keep moving around and i think even outside of music, like in any any field you're in or any aspect of life, it's really important to pause and be like, am, am I being true to my like authentic self right now? And if not, let me just readjust a little because we're not going to know what we want to do for the rest of our lives. You kind of have to check in and be like, mm, I don't know if this is working for me anymore and find something that works better. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's really that's really important to to talk about actually, yeah. especially amongst DJs. I don't think uh, I think a lot of us get set in our ways and we just rinse and repeat, and then we yeah. kind of maybe get tired and bored, and we're like, well, we're in this lane, we're just gonna stay and ride it out. But that it, ends up fucking so many people too, because it's like you stay in a lane, but it's like maybe you you know made your name in dubstep. And then that trend or that moment and all the listeners that came at that time and all the everything has sort of faded or adjusted. And if you're still going hard at that, you're not evolving, you're you're gonna die with the trend. Yep. You know? And I think like someone who's so good at evolving constantly is A Track. He's like he's been doing this so long. And he keeps switching it up and like he he's not like stuck in any genre. He just kind of does what is authentic to him and keeps keeping it fresh and that works yeah i think that's that, that's actually one of the things that i've i've looked at him and and gone yeah how does he do it yeah and i don't even know if he knows i think it's just he's always followed his heart or yeah yeah i think that's really a good point mm-hmm. um so speaking of that and and you know uh, kind of like being a mentor you've been putting on power workshops that's your uh, do you want to just quickly explain what that is yeah um so it's a series of workshops they're nonprofit, and i basically open it up to women only and um i just teach girls how to dj and then all the money that we raise from ticket sales will donate to a local women's or lgbt center and um and we're we've been doing dj ones for a couple years but now we're going to also be expanding into production which is really cool like it's been such a passion project for me and I feel like it's something I wish I had when I was starting 
And I wish I had access to that and I would have probably gotten started much sooner if there was something like that around. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think, I think when it comes to like, again, women in like any field, there's such a competitive thing that's like thrown onto us of like, oh, well, this girl has it. Like, are you going to take it from her? Like, oh, we already have a girl. And it's like, Mm. why can't there be a bunch of us? You know? Right, more limited op- opportunities for women. Yeah, it's more limited and it's kind of tokenized and like there's so much bullshit we get, which I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing about like, you know, women facing struggles and a male dominant thing. Like we all know that. But I think it's really important to kind of cultivate a feeling of community amongst any oppressed group, mm. you know, or any minority in any space. And so having a space where everyone feels safe to mess up and can make friends and can learn something new without feeling judged. And, you know, like actually one of the girls who took my class like two years ago, she just, she posted something and it was like, I can pull it up. I forget, but it was so like, it made me cry a little bit because she was like, this was such a like life changing experience for me. And like, just I'm being nostalgic today and thank you for giving me this space and, you know, was telling me that like a bunch of the girls that she met in the class, like they all go to each other's gigs, like their first gigs and share music and support. And like, that's what it's about to me. And like, that's just people elevating each other and empowering each other and having each other's backs. And when that doesn't exist in a community, you know, it's really important to build it. Totally. Like, I think that's it's kind of socially acceptable for a long time for men to have like boys clubs and yeah. men men's clubs and i think i guess that's it's impo- just as important for women to have their own clubs and totally their own network right yeah and djing in s- itself and i feel like a lot of like sectors of music are f- giant boys clubs yep so it's really important to like make sure that there is a solid space to explore and and be empowered and supportive for women and let's be honest, when it's not when it's not a boys' club, when it's a bit more diverse, it makes the vibe is so much nicer anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. it's like we all need a little balance, you know? Yeah, balance. So. so the decision kind of behind the power workshops is to kind of create a space and, yeah, create something that you wanted as a, as a, young, as a young DJ. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm like, you know, there's still a lot I want to do, and hopefully I climb higher and succeed more. But I know I have, like some type of platform Mm. and the only reason I have ever wanted any kind of platform is so that I can help people. Mm. And so I'm not going to waste the voice that I have, you know, if I can impact anyone, I'm going to do whatever I can. Well, yeah, let's talk about mentorship. Um, Are there some other good examples of people that have done that for you, you know, um, that it kind of impacted you to do the, the workshops in the first place? Um, I've had like a bunch of, I mean, they were all guys, Okay. Well, that's that's good. But that's it's positive. still nice, yeah. yeah. Which I think is also important because th- that's a whole other discussion. But, um, you know, I've had a lot of dudes in my life who were willing to take time to like help teach me. And when I was having a meltdown because I couldn't fucking figure it out or couldn't figure something out or I was having trouble with whatever, I had somebody to call. I had someone to come practice with me. Like, one of my first friends who ever taught me um, how to DJ, because I, I used to be a makeup artist. Okay. And he also was at the same company. Um, but he was, like, the only straight guy makeup artist, which is so funny. <laughs> but he's an old school, like, scratch dude. And, 
I would come over his house after work and he'd be like chilling, doing whatever, but listening to me mix. And I'd be like, nope, 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 <laughs> wrong, wrong. Like <laughs> you would call me out when it wasn't, you know, it wasn't right and help me adjust. And it's good to have people that are really honest, brutally honest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it really is. And have someone to reach out to when I'm like, I don't know what to do. And you know, other people that maybe like on the business side of things, like if you, you have a manager or like somebody who wants you to sign something and you've never dealt with that and before having someone to reach out to and be like, Hey, can, does this look right to you? Like I had that where someone wanted me to sign a contract. I was like, uh, I don't know. And I sent it to a few of my friends and they're like, absolutely not. Do not sign that. No fucking way. That's important. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for everyone I had, but I'm like, how much cooler would it be if I could have someone that I identified with that I could also talk about like, rolling up to the club and a bouncer thinking I'm a groupie trying to get in, not the person that's playing. Like, Sadly. Yeah. Like it's, those are, those are things that I feel like are, it's nice to have someone to talk to and who can give you a heads up on how to navigate those situations that are going to happen. Um, but yeah, I could, I couldn't imagine not having someone to reach out to, mm. you know, like at least someone. And so you're, you've mentioned you're going into production stuff mm-hmm. as well Is as a DJ. Um, how does the DJ influence production in your experience? I mean, you said you started as a DJ first. Yeah. 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 I've, I've been DJing for like, I think it's going to be 10 years. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Congrats. It's <laughs> the anniversary. Um, but yeah, I DJed for a really long time, but so many of my friends, like when I was starting to kind of come up in that, like a little electronic sphere in like 2012, 13, all my friends that I like started kind of vibing with and we were on the scene together, they all started out as producers Mm. and like I, I would play their music and that's how we kind of like all got connected and you know, they, they produced, so they started DJing from there and here I am, I've been DJing and I have no experience producing, but everyone around me is a very like seasoned producer. So I'm comparing all my shit to people who've been doing this forever. So hard. Yeah. And beating myself up because I also have high standards because I know what what kind of music I think is good and what yeah. is not and I'm like oh my god I can't make something that I think is good like I'm screwed so I had many attempts over the years where I would like mess around with production and like be teaching myself and then just be like I suck and I would give up for a while you know and then I got I got a bit more comfortable and I got out of my own way and I still get in my own way but it's I feel like I'm finally in a place where I can like make what's in my head Mm. and I can have ideas and I I can have ideas and like play them for people. And they're like, Oh my God, it's hard as fuck. Like that's so cool to me that I've gotten to that space and there's so much more I want to learn, but it's definitely an interesting journey going from DJ to producer versus producer to DJ. Cause you're a total music snob as a DJ. Yep. So it's already hard learning a new skill. Learning to produce and create music in any way is, are, is hard. So you're being like double hard on yourself, which isn't helpful when you're trying to relax and be creative. Especially when you hear the songs that do really well in the club, right? Yeah, and you're like, mine doesn't sound like that. Fuck. <laughs> Actually, it's funny, J.S. Espinosa, like I had a conversation with him the other day. Do you know who he is? He's, he's a Bay Area DJ, um, and he's a, like a world champion, like, freestyle champion uh-huh. and he's like talking to me about I hope he doesn't mind me talking about it but he's like yo I'm really getting into production but like man like I, I'm, I'm making stuff but it just doesn't sound as good as like the records I play and I just don't want to play anything that's less than what I play and yeah. I'm like yeah but 
that takes a while, dude. Like you got to start somewhere. Yeah. There's a learning curve. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's, it's also, I feel like there's a lot of options available to you. And if you play like a, 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 a wider range of genres or songs mm-hmm. or styles, and then you try and you have to decide just kind of like how you're DJing, you yeah. have to decide on what, what it is that you're going to make. And even more so than a DJ, right? Because yeah. as a DJ, you have some flexibility there. But as a producer, you really kind of have to find a lane and stick with it. Yeah, right? you have to figure out what is your sound. Mm. What do you want to be known for? What elements of your personality are you going to put out into a body of work? And that's hard as hell. And I'm so indecisive. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm a Libra, and I'm the most indecisive person ever. Ask me what I want to eat. I have no clue, ever. <laughs> So have when you're all over the place musically and have to figure it out, it's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, which I think also that's another thing that, like, I just kind of picked something and made some stuff. And now I'm like, you know what? Tried it. Need to shift. And that's okay. You can yeah. shift. And, you know, people will shift with you. Or you'll find new people that will identify with what you're making more. And, you know, make new fans and new followers and new supporters along the way yeah and and um you know is there anything is there any artists in particular right now that you're really inspired by Mm, i mean i've just been listening to the summer walker album nonstop. so that's yeah it's more the the, (sighs) man that's such a good album it's so good it's so good and like London's, london is an incredible producer yeah and i think it's i mean even that that's a really good example like he came from you know making a certain type of music and it's still in in there Mm. but there's all these like beautiful acoustic moments and really like open like emotional tracks on there that aren't like rap beats you know and i think that's incredible that like like that's a, a great example of sort of adjusting and trying something new and seeing it work um and I think lyrically, like she's so vulnerable and mm-hmm. open. And I think um, that's something that is important no matter what you're making, whether if you're just m- making beats or making like crazy future bass tracks or I don't know, whatever. I think being super duper authentic and vulnerable when you're creating is like the most important because people feel it. People respond to honesty, right? Totally. Yeah. And they can kind of tell when you're faking it. Or yeah. you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't stick. Yeah. It's I almost feel like that when if, do you ever get on the microphone when you DJ? Yeah, and I hate it. <laughs> Me too. And it's like I feel like when I'm on the microphone, people can tell instantly if I'm insecure about anything yeah. at all. Yeah. So 1, you gotta go in there and like just really convince people that you're that you mean business. Yeah. I mean I, I used to like feel like I had to get on the mic and like say the things that all the other DJs would say and do it this way and that way. And I was like, that's just not me. Yeah. So on when I get on normally, I'm like, I'm just like my weird self. And I'm maybe saying like a weird dry dad joke that no one's going to get, <laughs> but I'm still going to say it because that's it. You know, like people can just tell. People can smell in, in ugh, I can talk in authenticity. Oh, yeah, for real. Speaking of which, you're very open about your identity and, you know, um, the kind of groups that you are part of. Mm-hmm. How important is it for, for you to make yourself visible to other, you know, young people or musicians? I was actually having a conversation with my dad about this. But I think it's super important to be, like, really open when you have identity 
aspects that are traditionally more like frowned upon or not supported or like, you know, discriminated against because there's so many other people that have those. And when you grow up and you don't have role models that you can identify with, you feel like you can't do things, you know? And when like the whole world is telling you that like you're terrible and you should die and like, you know, whatever awful things. um, They are really awful things. Yeah. And that goes from like, you know, race to sexuality to gender and like every, everything in between when all you're seeing are people who are not like you succeeding and you're getting all this like negativity, it makes you not want to try, you know, like I feel like I would have started DJing a lot sooner if I saw more women, for example. Mm. Um, so I'm like, all right, I've got, I've got a few things on my list here of like, like the oppression bingo list. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to make sure that like, even if it's one person that, that sees me and they're like, Oh my God, she's this, she's that. Like I can do that too. Like, Oh my God. Like for someone to just feel like they can identify with somebody that's doing something that they want to do. It just gives a little boost of empowerment and that's what we really need to, to change things in the world for people to feel safe trying something and um, like there's space for them. Welcome in a way. Yeah, yeah. Just making space for people. And it's tricky though, because at the same time you don't want to be like pigeonholed. You don't want to be the, the, this or that DJ, you know, like, but at the same time, it's part of it. Like so many, so many girls are like, I don't want to be a female DJ. I don't want people to be like, Oh, that female DJ. Which I get because, like, you want to be known for your work as a DJ Mm. or your work as whatever. Totally. But at the same time, to make sure people know, like, hey, I defied a shit ton of odds here and got where I'm at. And I'm doing something that I'm traditionally not, you know, welcome in or supported in or impactful in. Um that gets around and it it makes such a difference for people. So I think it's just important to make sure that there's a balance there and not have it turn into some like corny gimmick thing that pigeonholes you and holds you back from exploring the rest of your options in life. But yeah, I think it's super important. Yeah. I find it kind of sometimes the, this, this, the topic of um, homosexuality and, and the club and music Mm -hmm. is, is quite, it's so it's so washed away like the fact that a lot of the music that we know and love comes from gay clubs yeah and a, a place where people felt safe and they could escape gay black clubs specifically yeah like, the music i, I love all and, like straight white dudes <laughs> like what the hell happened <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and i find that um you know a bit yeah it's just very confusing how even to this day i feel like certain audiences don't understand that yeah. that the music that they love came from people that they may really not like or agree with but that that is actually the the opportunity right there is to like put that that hate or that you know fear aside and embrace this thing you love and that you share that comes from this community and if they didn't exist you wouldn't have this you wouldn't have it there's just such a lack of like education and presence in that community that it's easy for people to not know and to ignore it. And like maybe they heard it once or twice or like saw an article on whatever about it. But when it, when that representation's not there, 
and when it's just kind of been shoved to like far ends of the club world you know it it really halts um compassion and understanding and acceptance and love and all of that totally and that's what music that's the best thing about music and I've, I've talked about this before but it's like that's the thing that brings a lot of people together mm-hmm. regardless of their backgrounds it's like music is the can can have the power yeah to do that which leads me to my next question what does the power of music mean to you oh man I don't even know how to answer that because it's such, it is such a powerful thing, you know, every, everything you'd ever want to communicate or be understood about you or connect to, you can find in music, you know, like you're going through any sort of emotion. You can find music that makes you feel understood and makes you feel less alone and makes you feel less scared or makes you feel happy and pulls you out of a bad mood or, you know, makes you fall in love. Like you can, it really dictates so much in our lives. And like, whenever I meet people who are like, I don't really listen to music. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Are you a serial killer? Like what the hell is wrong with you? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that music has such a huge power over our lives and our emotions and our moods and our lives. Yeah. I can't even imagine a world without, without it. Like I think about my life and I would just be like, no, absolutely not. not. Yeah. Like it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got to where I am obviously without it, but I wouldn't be able to continue on without no. it. You know, it's like fuel. Yeah. No way. I, I really couldn't imagine like so many special moments in my life where even just the act of sharing music and making, I really do miss like making CDs and, and mixtapes for people. Like me and my friends used to make them for each other. And that was just, I miss that. Like handmade covers and all Mm -hmm. that. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Can you, can you recall, like what was your first, what was your earliest memory of music? I was a huge Michael Jackson fan growing up, like hardcore. Like that was the first, you know, piece of music I bought. And, um, an album. Yeah. Well, I think it was tape. Tape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah tape. Do you um, remember which tape it was? I bought a bunch at once. So I had like Bad Thriller, Bad and Thriller. I want to think I also had a Madonna one, but I didn't listen to it that much. But, uh, but yeah, Bad and Thriller. And that was just like my shit. And anytime I went through something, you know, when I was really young and like my parents divorced and I didn't have that many friends growing up and I got bullied and like I had all, you know, that annoying childhood crap. Um, but that made me feel less alone. Mm. And it made me feel like whenever things were hard, I would listen to that and I felt better. And I didn't understand why, but I just, that's what I would do. And I still do that when I'm not feeling great. Like I'm going to put something on and that I know is going to make me feel better. And pretty important. Yeah. I, I think about the times actually when I'm the least happy. Yeah. And there are always times where I'm not listening to enough music. Like it's almost like I have to make sure that I, I, I make a playlist every yeah. little once in a while just so I'm like, you know, kind of consuming it in a way um, to keep it going. And, and yeah. it really changes everything. It's almost like, because um, I, I have to, I meditate a lot. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I need it. And I know sometimes when I'm not feeling great, I'll just be like, Ugh, like I'm feeling kind of down and like my energy's low and I just feel cranky. And I'm like, why do I feel like shit? And then I'm like, oh, I haven't meditated for like a week. Like 
it's a maintenance thing, mm. you know, you have to constantly do it. And I feel like music is so similar in that way that if you're not feeding your soul, like it's going to get hungry and cranky and you're going to feel like shit. <laughs> so, so a great way of articulating it actually. Yeah. yeah totally cranky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, um, your, uh, your, one of your early, uh, experiences with music I've, I've heard in another interview mm. was with through your mother. Yeah. And um, do you want to talk about, like, her influence? Oh, yeah. My mom was a huge influence. She um, she had, like, a whole collection of records, and she always had music playing in the house. And um, my, like, biggest memories with her was uh, Erica Badu, Baduism, and Maxwell, Urban Hang Suite. That, like, still I still listen to those all the time. That's my classic. I love that. Yeah, yeah, so good. But that was always, like, stuff like that and, like, Miles Davis and, like, always just cranked up in the house, like, super loud. And in the car on the way to school, and um, she loves live music too. So sometimes, because my parents weren't together when I was young, um, my mom would want to go to a jazz or a jazz festival or like a hip hop festival. She listens to hip hop too. Oh, I mean, I guess about doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little little balance of the two. Um, she loved the Above the Rim soundtrack. Oh yeah, classic. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, she'd want to go and like couldn't you know couldn't afford to get a ticket or whatever and then had me and my brother that she needed to watch watch over so she would sign up to volunteer at these festivals to work and we would be there with her and um and I remember I saw I saw Erica Badu I think it was like 1997 or 98 I forget um but yeah she was always bringing us around that and um still to this day she's always like oh this person's playing you want to come like oh i'm gonna be at the she goes to like the blue whale in la the little like jazz oh, yeah. club. like yeah she's she's on it. i've heard the blue whale is amazing and yeah. is that where mark de clive Lowe has a residency or something i don't know it's, it's like old jazz musicians so yeah, yeah 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 it's really cool i've been there a few times but yeah that and then like some of her friends were all in music like her one of her best friends was um babyface and stevie wonder's backup singer oh, for wow. a long time so, you know, we would go, like, watch them and just, it was really impactful, like, to have that. And I've definitely stolen a bunch of records from her, and she doesn't know that. <laughs> um, but that, and then she also, like, because uh, I grew up dancing, and she really encouraged that. She really encouraged just creative outlets. Like, she got me a keyboard and had me take piano lessons, and um, I put me in dance class when I, probably before I could walk. And... In that, honestly, like dance class got me so connected to music in a different way that after I stopped dancing, I had such a need to experience music in a way other than just listening that that's why I really got into DJing. Oh, wow. Because I, I danced from like literally probably when I was, I don't know, four until I was like 19, 20. And, you know, competitive, like traveling teams and all that stuff. Winning competitions? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. We were, like, national champs a bunch of times. Wow. Um, but dance class was so great because it was such a time to learn about music because I, I took class a bunch of times per week. And every teacher, like, the first half of the class, we'd be doing warm-ups and, you know, different things. And they'd be playing all the music they loved. And so, you know, we'd be listening to, like, Prince and Michael Jackson and then we'd be listening to, like, some neo-soul stuff. And then we'd be listening to, like, Tori Amos and Alanis Morissette. Like, all kinds of things. And, um, yeah, you just I just learned so much about music. And I connected to it in such a deep emotional way 
by moving with it and like pulling the, the emotion from the song and in translating that into movement that once I stopped dancing, I, you know, I was in college and I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be a professional dancer and there's not, there weren't really many like classes for adults that weren't people who were trying to be pro mm. at the time. So I stopped and then I felt such a void because I was like, I can't just listen to music. Like I needed, I needed more. I needed another way to connect with it and to, you know, work with it and communicate with it. And yeah, then I, I found out about DJing in that way and I was like, oh my God, perfect. Yeah, I go. feel like dancing really elevates the musical experience. For sure. Um, my partner is, is super, just loves dancing. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, I have learned more about dancing through, you know, her mm -hmm. and, and, and yeah, it really, dancing with music you got to do it you know yeah um the way to experience it, it like as if you're not playing it or making it that's the way to do it right yeah. that's the in because even like like i i have some memories where like maybe i was going through a hard time and you know you want to like listen to something maybe you're feeling sad and you want to listen to something sad but i would do that and i'd also just like dance to it hmm. but like you know like contemporary dance type shit but it would be so so cathartic because I would like sometimes I would just cry and it would like get get my emotions out of me and really help me kind of like release the same way people get a release when they write or when yep. they do anything like that and it's something that I really stress a lot when I'm teaching other people to DJ especially in my workshops is that you have to trust your body to mm. know what's going on with the music like people sit there and they get you know they get serrata face and they're staring at their screen and I'm like no and I'll put their screen down and I make them move with me. I'll like listen and I really like make everybody move with me. Because feel the beat. Yeah, yeah. I'm like you can't just sit here statically and listen to it. Like you need to feel it and trust your body to know when is the right time to mix it or you know because it, you know music is a conversation and all the phrases in it. You need to know when it's time to breathe and when it's time for the next sentence to start or whatever. 100%. So yeah. Um, I just want to back up a bit. You talked a bit about Erica Badu and Badu Baduism. Mm. Now I kind of know this about you already, but um, is Badu is Badu your favorite artist? I One guess. Of them? Yeah. 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 I'm like I'm, I'm indecisive, so I can't like pick a top right. one. Yeah. But she, yeah, I I love Erica Badu. And you have an interesting story about. Um, you've told me this before, and I don't know if it made the cut, but I thought it was a really fantastic story, and I'd really love to hear it again about. You meet you. You had an opportunity to meet her. Is that right? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was that's one of my favorite stories that I've ever had in life. I'm very thankful for that one. Um, but so I I was friends with Flying Lotus because I was just like always at Low End Theory and around. That's just so cool. Just as it is, <laughs> so rad. Yeah, he's incredible. His new live show sidebar is insane you have to wear 3d glasses for it oh wow it's nuts because he's always had crazy live shows yeah but now it's literally 3d oh wow. <laughs> while okay. you're watching him it's crazy mental note check yeah. out this show yeah but um but i was friends with him and i was driving home from somewhere in la at the time and i hit him up because i was like gonna be you know passing by his area and I was like, oh, what are you up to? And he's like, oh, I'm just chilling. Come over, hang out. And I was like, okay. He's like, oh, by the way, Erica's here. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, sure, cool, casual, yep. Mm -hmm. And so I like, called my mom immediately. And I was like, mom, 
going over going over Steve's house right now, and and Erica Badu's there. And I just I need to I need to be cool. I need to be cool. So I get there and I walk in and like his his old house at the time, like the living room was just a giant game room, gaming room, like. It was just a big projector with a giant couch, and, like, you play video games. Wow. Just video games all over the wall. Sounds like dude paradise. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so I walk in, and she's just sitting on the couch. And she's like, oh, hi, I'm Erica. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm Lauren. And um, and she's like, oh, do you want to play? And I was like, well, okay. And so I sat down and started playing Mortal Kombat with Erica Badu. <laughs> That's crazy. Which, like, I've never played that, but she kept, like, pausing to show me, like, things to do to, like, rip her head off. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? It's a very graphic game. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, like, Thundercat and Just Blaze walk in, and I'm just like, what's going on? And then uh, Flying Lotus had this studio in the house, and he was like, oh, you know, everybody, like, come in here. He was, because I guess they were recording. I think it was Cosmogramma. I forget. But anyways. Everyone went in there and they were just like chilling and smoking and talking about like conspiracy theories. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, how am I here right now? This is so crazy. And um, yeah, it was surreal. And then I was getting ready to leave and she gave me a hug. And it was like, I felt like I was literally hugging an angel. And she's a magical character. She really is. She's not human. Yeah. Like, she's really very, like, ethereal. Like, if Mother Earth was a person, that's her. Yeah. yeah. I love her music. It's just, yeah. uh, she's one of the most consistent artists, too. Like, she's, again, a great example of somebody who's evolved, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously, Badooism and, and, you know, Worldwide Underground, Mama's Gun, and even her most recent uh, record, um, But You Can't, call, can't yeah. Use My Phone. I remember, like, I heard that, and I was just like, whoa, this is so, like, current. Yeah. And she's got, like, you know, kind of some trap stuff going on, so, yeah. but she's still keeping Houston, like, um, mm-hmm. Texas with the chopped and screwed stuff, and um, she's got Andre on there. And yeah. It's, it's just amazing. Like, so dope. And her, honestly, like, I've seen her probably 20 times, and she's playing, I think, Friday. She's playing Friday with most staff at the Greek Theater. In L.A.? Mm-hmm. Which... <laughs> I know. I'm like, I, I didn't even realize it until yesterday. One of my friends who happens to be friends with her, we were talking about her. And he's like, oh, my God, are you going to go? And I was like, what? I didn't even know this was happening. What the fuck? Um, but, you know, I'm like, I've seen her so many times. I need to chill out. But she, <laughs> she puts on a show. So good live. So good live. That, um, that live album that had uh, Tyrone and stuff on mm-hmm. it, that was actually one of my first introductions to Erica Badu. Mm-hmm. And as I was going to a... Not to make this about me, but this, I was going to a jazz school and I just remember thinking like, man, she just nailed it all. She's got like, you know, the jazz stuff going on. You got hip hop, you got R&B. It's just this perfect combination yeah. of all these elements. And it's just so, again, it's so current at the time. It just felt so like perfect for the moment. You yeah, know? totally. And that's hard to do. And she's main, been able to maintain that for a long time. Yeah. And she's just got her own lane. Like there's nobody that can can sound like her. Yeah. She's yeah. Just- so did you, like, when you got to meet her, were you just totally starstruck or were you able to kind of get over that and just, you know, vibe? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've met some, some, I guess, big people in my life and I do, I'm very glad and proud that I can act normal. 
because I know a lot of people freak out and get starstruck. And I'm like, absolutely not. I don't want to be known as that weird fangirl. <laughs> so I'm going to be chill and act like they're just a normal person. And I don't know who they are. Nice. Yeah, you've... um. You, you DJed for Kid Cudi, is that right, mm-hmm. for, for a while? Is that a similar yeah. kind of vibe? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, w- I went on tour with him. I was on tour with him for like a year. We d- I mean, we didn't have like that many shows. He wasn't on like tour tour, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I DJed for him and same thing. I was just like, you know, just chill, normal dude. Like, we'll talk about hamburgers or I don't know normal life stuff <laughs> like whatever you were a fan of his music before yeah, yeah yeah I wasn't like not like I am was of Erica but you know it's Kid Cudi <laughs> yeah. totally yeah um and then so what like what are you working on like right now what's your current focus so I have all the power workshops so we're going to be expanding the DJ workshops we're getting the production workshops up off the ground and just trying to find um other ways to really make it impactful, you know, because right now we're just kind of donating money and I, I feel like there's something bigger that I could do that would just make more of an impact and help people in a more direct way um, than just throwing money. Mm. Um, so trying to kind of figure that out and figure out how we're going to, you know, take it on the road and make everything make sense. Um, and then I'm so ready to really just work on music now because I, I took a bit of a break I was just like I don't know what I really want to make right now and um and it's a little discouraging when you don't know what you want to make oh yeah you know and you feel a little bit lost so now I finally feel like okay like I feel like the weight is lifted and like I can sit down and just kind of fuck around do I know what I'm gonna make no um but I feel like I'm ready to find it so. awesome I'm looking forward to hearing what that is yeah I definitely want to work with more artists. Like it's it's going to be more like artist based collaborations. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great. I think I mean personally, that's the way I like to to, to work, and I yeah. think it really can bring the best out of out of you, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay, so finally, like parting, just mm-hmm. while we, while we wrap this up, if you could speak to a young Lauren, um, this is like the platform. Yeah. What would you want? What would be your message to DJ starting out, Lauren? Get out of your own way and don't be scared. And just whatever you want to do, just do it. Don't wait. Don't talk yourself out of it. Just literally just go get that shit. Awesome. And you're going to suck for a while and that's okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. And um, yeah, look forward to t- talking to you again soon. Yeah, for sure. All right. Bye. Bye.